And so if you don't have a, a Bible and you'd like to follow along in the passage and see where I'm getting my points and, and what I'm connecting from, just keep your hand up and one of the ushers will gladly hand you a Bible. Uh, for those of us that uh, have our Bibles and as you get your Bible, turn to Romans chapter 1. Really what's, what's happened with this series, this is the third week uh, in this series. This is part three. Uh, is it, what, what I find pretty pretty kind of neat is that I'm just kind of mining away at this particular passage. Uh, and that's what we've been doing over the last few weeks. We've just, you know, there's a lot of places you can go when we talk about service in the Bible because the idea of serving is a big scriptural theme. Uh, as it says behind me here from Mark, when we were in Mark, Jesus himself made his mission statement that he came to serve and not to be served. That means he literally came to pour his life out. And that word service is often translated in the New Testament uh, as worship. And so we've been discussing how service really is an act of worship. Really what service is, is it's not just limited to, and this is the, what I would hate uh, for you to walk away from, is that service is somehow limited to what you do on this campus or in this building or through the ministries of Sierra Bible Church. Service should be an attitude that we live out. We should be servants. If you look at Romans chapter 1 in the beginning there, remember, it, Paul introduces himself, as he often does in almost any book that he has written, I am Paul, and I'm an apostle. That's usually something he mentions. But here in Romans 1, he says that he's a servant. The word that's used there is a bondservant. He is a free will slave. This is part of who he identifies himself with, that he's a slave unto Christ. And I think that the wordage there is very important because Ultimately, I believe that human, humans, mankind, is enslaved, period. Either you are enslaved to the ways of the world, to the ways of sin, as Scripture would say, to Satan himself. If you remember, at one point in time, Jesus literally calls the Pharisees that they are sons of Satan, that, they, that their father is Satan. So you're either enslaved to the ways of the world, you're enslaved to the ideologies of the world, you kind of just go wherever the world goes, you don't actually ask any questions about what is being taught to you from the world's perspective, or, or as Paul would say, uh, he once was a slave to the world, but now he's a slave to Christ. He is bound to Christ. He is one with Christ. And he is, his attitude is this way because of what Christ has done. He, he knows what Jesus has done for his soul. He knows that even though he was a sinner, that Christ laid his life down, that Christ served Paul, and that Christ serves people, and that Christ has served the world, and that even this morning, Jesus wants to serve you. Uh, there's something I think unique, even uh, in this smaller group that we have here this morning, that, that God is at work in our midst, and that God is doing something in our church community, in our faith family. God's doing something globally, and I say amen to that, uh, in spite of the reality that, that our world is growing uh, ever, ever darker, ever more confused. And yet, Christ serves his people, and he keeps his churches alive, and he keeps his people awakened in even the darkest of moments. And so we rejoice that Jesus has served us, just as he stated, and he serves us this morning. Uh, and Paul Paul uh, puts this emphasis, if you will, take a look at verse 7 of Romans 1. He says, to all of those who are in Rome, who are loved by God, he's speaking specifically to the church that are called to be saints. 
First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you. There is gratitude there. We talked about that uh, uh, last week, I believe. Two weeks ago, I'm sorry. First, I thank my God, there's gratitude, through Jesus Christ for all of you because of your faith is proclaimed in all the world. For God is my witness whom I serve with my spirit. That's been the center of our text. Paul says, I serve Christ. I serve the gospel. So he's making, just to repeat myself in case you haven't remembered what I've said or you weren't listening, Paul's making a distinction between the worldly service of the world and his kind of service. He says, I serve through the gospel. I serve Jesus Christ. The Christian doesn't serve for the sake of service in the culture. The Christian does not do social justice for the sake of just social justice. The Christian serves to manifest or to show or to declare or another way to preach the gospel that Jesus is alive. And so it's not just service for service sake, it's service unto Christ. And we know that the Old Testament has been speaking uh, into this regard because it tells us to serve the Lord in Psalm 11, verse 2. Serve the Lord, it says, with gladness. So Psalms tells us, and I think Paul has shown us in this place as well as other places, that he serves with a heart of rejoicing. He's glad to serve. It's not just a, a, a legalistic compulsion. He doesn't feel bound to it in a sense of, if I don't do this, God will punish me. If I don't do this, God won't liberate me. No, he, he understands he serves out of joy. But then listen to this, because I think this ties in with every Sunday gathering. He says in Psalm 11, verse 2, uh, the psalmist, serve the Lord with gladness, come into his presence with what? Does anyone know the rest of that verse? Singing. Come into, Thanksgiving's good too. <laughs> come into his presence with thanksgiving, gladness, but also the text emphasizes here with singing. It's a command. This is a command for us. That every time we enter into the presence of the Lord, especially on Sundays, we should come, even if the day has been hard, I'll get to that a little bit more in a moment, with a smile on our face. Because God, in the midst of the snowstorm, God in the midst of the chaos, he's good. And so Paul knew, the psalmist knew, we rejoice God, we come into his presence with gladness, and we sing. That last song that Brad and, and the team sang this morning, it moved me. Uh, it, it literally, like, like a physical response. And I know that if I have a physical response, usually you have a physical response times two or three because I'm kind of not that super emotional, intelligent guy. And so if I can feel it, I know you can feel it. That God is the only one who can turn, what, is, what was the, the chorus? He, he's the one who turns graves into gardens. Doesn't he serve us well? And so we come in with gladness, we come in with rejoicing, and we come in singing for sure. And so what we're seeing in this text is what made Paul really tick. We've covered a few things. One, we've covered Paul's open heart. That's what he's saying here. Like, if we're going to serve, we have to be open to our church, open to our people, open to our community, whom I serve with my spirit. I'm open. I'm all in. That's what Paul's saying. And then he has emphasized, these are, again, these are uh, points from the last two weeks. He has emphasized gratitude in his service. What motivates him to serve is he has a thankful heart for the gospel and Jesus and the church. Uh, the second one was he prays. We, we, that was the big idea last week, that, that it moved him to prayer. 
And just to highlight a little bit, it was really great for me to hear last week when we talked about serving our church through prayer. And if you don't uh, know where I get that point from, take a look. Paul doubles down on his, um, on that here in the text. Where is it? Uh, look at verse 9. For God is my witness whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his son without ceasing. I mention you what? Always. So there, he uses two terms. Seems redundant. Without ceasing, I mention you always. So Paul prayed for his church. Best thing I heard last week, uh, someone came to me after the service and said, Thank you for the message, really, really convicting. Uh, I've been moved to pray more for our church. That's the best thing I could hear, that, that, that from that message, you would, would have left the building and said, I want to serve Christ and serve the gospel, yes, with thanksgiving and gratitude, but I want to pray for the church. I want to pray that God would guard our church, that God would bless our church, that God would grow our church. One of the things I look for when someone finally moves uh, from from wherever they came from to Truckee, right? When they first start coming here or when they've made a change in churches for whatever reason, uh, I look for that verbiage for someone to say, I'm really glad to be part of our church. Not your church, not, not Sierra Bible Church, but our church. Own the community. Own the fact that this is your family and own the fact that, that, that God has given you this building to be a good steward of. God has given you a worship team to be a good steward of and a church and all of those things, right? So it's our church. So now this morning, I just want to highlight again what we know about Paul in regards to what, how he didn't serve. Important notes, I think. Number one, we're going to see this, and I think we've seen it in lots of places where Paul declares in regards to service, he didn't serve because it was easy. Can we all agree on that? Can we all agree that Paul was not someone who said, I'm going to take the easy path? Acts 20, verse 35, he says this, In all things I have shown you that by working hard, did you capture that? I know this room doesn't need to hear that because you're here. You didn't get here without working a little bit hard to get here, right? The, it, my neighbor and I this morning Literally, I was in my driveway, my, my driveway on the far side of the house. He was in his driveway right next to me. And we both, just by God's, you know, timing, we're both plowing down the driveway together looking at each other like this, right? And we both kind of gave one of the, right? We're, we're in this, we're in this uh, together. It's not pleasurable it, it necessarily. It's hard work. Paul was willing to put in the work. He says, I've shown you. So he demonstrates the service. He's not somebody who is hiding everything that he does. He, he can be seen doing what he's doing. Uh, I saw most of you are, are very well aware uh, of the Jesus, you know, revolution movie that the uh, G, what is Jesus, uh, is it revolution? I don't know why my mind wasn't letting me remember that was the real name. So anyways, uh, you know, from the Calvary Chapel movement, from Chuck Smith uh, and all of that, and <clears throat> which I have a deep appreciation for the Calvary Chapel movement. Uh, some of you know this. I, I worked at a Calvary Chapel church for five years in Southern California, a large church. The, the guy who mentored me, awesome guy's name is Mike McIntosh, was actually one of Chuck Smith's very first interns, planted a, a Bible study in the living room with just a handful of people, and it slowly grew into a church of thousands. Uh, and, and God clearly did something unique in the Calvary Chapel movement, and that's why they've made that movie. Uh, and uh, 
someone, you know, there's been all these pictures posted of, of Calvary Chapel history. And one of those pictures I posted recently on my social media of, of Chuck Smith in, in uh, I don't know when, how far in his ministry was, but it showed his heart in ministry. Uh, he's carrying a paralytic hippie, a paralytic hippie into the waters to baptize him. I mean, here's a senior pastor of a movement, a senior pastor of a church that's, that blows up, right? And he's not just on the stage. He's carrying paralytic men who are hippies into the waters. Uh, some of you know, and if you've seen the movie, maybe I think they made mention of this, uh, but it's kind of in the Calvary Chapel lore. You know, there, there was that time where all of these hippies were coming to Jesus and finding the gospel. Uh, and as they were finding the gospel and they were coming to church, you know, these guys, you know, the hippiness didn't just come out of them. You know, they still were walking into the sanctuary with their long hair and their bell bottoms. And many of them in Southern California were going to church barefoot. And as they were walking around in the sanctuary barefoot, which I love the idea, right? We, we give Brad a hard time for wearing sandals. You, these, these people weren't even wearing shoes. And, and the elders and some of the leaders in the church came to Chuck and said, listen, you know, we've got this sanctuary. It's a nice sanctuary. We've invested in it. Uh, and, and they're making our carpet dirty. Could you please communicate to these hippies as they come to Jesus? Could you put some shoes on? I mean, could you just, just think about that for a moment? The message is this. Accept Christ and shoes, and we'll accept you. Well, Chuck had a great response, uh, whether it was by himself or through his leadership team. He said, okay, then let's just pull the carpet up. That, that's the kind of service, that's the kind of ministry that we want to be a part of. We don't want to be a, a church that just teaches and just preaches. We want to live these things out. And we want them to be recorded in heaven that we served God with, with the kind of openness that was willing to do whatever it took. Because we know Paul didn't do it just because it was fun. The dude got beat up a lot. I mean, he really took it, took it on the chin. Uh, in addition to that, he didn't do it just to be rewarded or to boast. He did it because he loved Christ and he had a desire to see people he had a desire to see people come to the Lord. And, and, and I hope that is something that's growing in you as well. This idea of service isn't just so that the church would grow financially. Because oftentimes when, when someone like hippies gets saved, when some uh, of the poor get saved, and when people who are broken get saved, they don't just turn into tithers all of a sudden and blow the church up financially. These are people that need resources. These are people that need our service and our help. And so because, because of the gospel, the church is never out there saying, we need to grow for just growth's sake and for budget's sake, and here's our budget, and here's what we spent and all of that. Those things are important. We should do church orderly. But at the end of the day, Paul did this, and we should do this idea of service because we want to see sinners saved. We want to see people who don't know Christ come to know Christ. We want those of you in the room or who are online who are far from God to be brought near to God. Listen to how Paul describes himself in 1 Corinthians 9, 16. For if I preach the gospel, that gives me no ground for boasting. He's saying, I don't have any ground to boast. I don't have any ego. This doesn't puff me up. He goes on and says this. He says, for necessity is laid upon me. This is similar language of Jeremiah. It's in my bones. Woe to me if I don't preach. It pains me is almost what he's saying. It hurts my bones if I don't preach the gospel, is what Jeremiah says. And this is what he's saying. It's laid upon me. Christ has laid a burden on me. And I've got to preach. 
Woe to me, he says, if I don't preach the gospel. Do you hear that? There's an, this ties right in with him saying, whom I serve with my spirit. It, it, this, this, it, it'll pain me and hurt me down deep if I don't do something. He goes on in verse 18 of 1 Corinthians, and he goes, what is my reward then? Do you hear the question? Okay, I preach the gospel. I don't have a reward for it. So what is my reward? That's the question. If I serve and I preach, what's my reward? And this is his reward, that in my preaching, I may present the gospel free of charge. Stop. Do you hear him? Come on, church. I serve and I go through hardship and I go through difficulty. I've been shipwrecked. I've been beaten. I've been stoned. I've been left for dead. Why? so that the gospel will be presented free of charge. Isn't that a hard service? I don't need to write a book. I don't need to get a killer website. I don't need a really flashy YouTube channel. I just need to ensure that the gospel can go out free of charge. No charge to anyone. The gospel is free. He goes on and says, so as not to make full use of my right in the gospel, for though I am free from all, I have, listen what he says now, I have made myself a servant to all. To who? Everybody. I serve everyone. And then he describes why he serves them. So that I might win more of them. Right? Paul Paul's saying, I want to love you. I want to serve you. And I'm hoping that you would come to me. All that to be said, Paul's motives were correct. They weren't wrong. Now let's talk about the next big point this morning. It's in verse 10. Look at what he says in verse 10. Always in my prayers. Remember we talked about last week. He was willing to pray. Now he, now he comes out of it, out of the prayer, asking what? What's he praying about? That somehow, by God's will, I may now at last succeed in coming to you. Service, here's the point this morning. Service, Christ like service, a mark of Christ like service is a willingness, a submissiveness. That's the point. A willingness, a submissiveness to do what God has called him to do. Do you see it in the language? I'm willing. Right? Paul oftentimes prayed himself into the solution of the problem he was praying about. Do you hear me? Paul prayed in such a way for the church that oftentimes, as he prayed for the church, unbeknownst to him, I think, even at times, and sometimes probably he was aware of it, that somehow I will come to you, even though he's not the solution here, oftentimes Paul would pray, and he would pray himself into the solution. Spirit-filled prayer is willing to do something. By Paul using this language of, I'm willing to come to you, Paul is saying, I'm a volunteer. I'm the first guy to stick my hand up when somebody announces there's a need. That's what Paul's saying. Are you willing? That's the idea. Are you willing to do whatever God calls you to do? And will you submit to it? That's the question that's before you this morning. Early on in ministry, uh, you know, I moved from Truckee, went to San Diego, went to a school of ministry, went to the school of ministry, prayed for an internship, 
I knew I was supposed to be called into full-time ministry. That was really clear for me at that time in my life, 21, 22 years old. And when I finally got the internship at that church, at the Calvary Chapel I was talking to you about, uh, I felt really blessed to be a part of that. And I made a commitment between myself and the Lord that, that to get into ministry, basically what I was going to do was say yes to every single opportunity that God gave me. So what that meant was, you know, large church, hey, is there anybody who's willing to go to the homeless shelter and, and assist feeding the homeless down in the homeless shelters in San Diego and then preach a gospel message? I'd raise my hand. Uh, is there anyone willing to do chapel for the high school? I'd raise my hand. Is there anyone willing to go do a devotional for the, uh, the kids over here? I'd raise my hand. Like every opportunity that I could take to preach or teach, I took it. I didn't care how big it was, how small it was. And, and I truly believe the only reason I'm before you able to talk at all is because of the willingness that I gave God. And Paul was in the same boat. I, I'm, I'm willing to lay myself out to volunteer myself for anything that is needed to ensure that the gospel goes forth. Now listen to what he says in Philippians 2, 5, right? You know this verse. Have this mind among yours, which is yours in Christ. You own it. Whether you're aware of this or not, you have this mind in you. If you're a Christian this morning and you have faith in Christ, you've been given the mind of Christ. Are you tapping into that mind or not? I'm not aware of that. I don't know. I can't answer that for you. I will ask you that question. You can answer between you and the Lord, but you have access to the mind of Jesus Christ. Maybe I'm the only one who thinks that's a really big flipping deal, but that's a big deal. He goes on, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with the God a thing to be grasped. But what did he do? Who knows the verse? He emptied himself. God, now, I can fumble this really easy when we start talking about the Trinity. Almost anybody can. But God himself in becoming man in Christ emptied himself, limited himself by taking on the form, it says, of a what? A servant. Being born in the likeness of men, being found in human form. He he humbled himself by becoming, who knows that part now? Wayne got the first one. You remember the rest of it, Wayne? Put him on the spot. He humbled himself by becoming obedient. Obedient to the point of death. Now you have been called to obey. This is what Paul's saying. I'm willing. Do you have a willing heart? Obedience to Christ is an act of love. Listen to me carefully, because some people think this idea of obedience is, is bad news. <laughs> obedience to Christ is an act of love to show you and Christ and the world you are dependent upon God for all. And it's also a declaration to the world, you are not your own spiritual authority. You have an authority. right? Have you heard the statement before, like, we read the Bible not so much as we let the Bible read us. We put ourselves under the submission of the Bible. You like the way this looks? We sit under it, right? Again, to quote Luther, which I've been doing the last few weeks, right? That was what Luther basically said. The Pope doesn't belong here. The bishops don't belong here. The word of God belongs here. And everybody sits underneath his commandments. Everybody sits underneath his precepts. And his teachings. None of us get to be dependent, uh, independent. 
all of us have to be dependent on something. And that's why I said earlier, you're a slave to something, Christ or not. But for the Christian, Paul says, I'm willing, I'm willing, I'm praying, I'm hoping. And so again, I ask, are you willing to go or, or but to go whatever the need may be, or are you one of those individuals that feels all of your ducks need to be lined up and in row? You have the right education before you do anything. Was that true of the disciples? Was it, one day they're fishermen, the next day they're fishers of men. Right? I mean, here he is. Are you willing or do you have to have it? I'm hoping you don't have to have your roof cleared before you do ministry. I'm hoping. Lots of people, this, isn't this true? We know this in American culture. Lots of people complain with what's wrong. Not so many people are willing to actually fix the problem. Lots of people can tell you, I don't like this, I don't like that, I don't appreciate this, I don't appreciate that, but very few are willing to do what Paul said, I will be the solution. So typically when someone comes to me, this is a normal practice, in the church and they say, I really feel like we should do this, I will say, yes, go for it. And inevitably what happens is they don't do it, or they get mad at me for, t for, for not doing it because they feel like it's so important I should do it. Have you ever had people in your life like that? This is so important. You need to do this. And then I go, okay, God's equipped you. He's put a desire upon your heart, right? Didn't you just hear what I say, said earlier? This is our church. What makes one of, I think many things, that makes our church beautiful is this is a church that serves each other. There are people who do Bible studies. There, there are individuals. I mean, I don't have to. You know this. I mean, the fact, there was a whole crew here this morning clearing out snow, right, for you. There are people this whole week praying for you, preparing for you, to serve you. If Paul says, we've got this mind among you. Are you willing to use that mind that Christ has given you, or do you have to have everything in a row? Because Paul's the kind of guy who's going to pray himself and do a solution. And the world is full of critics, but there aren't quite as many volunteers as there are critics, are there? We sure could use more volunteers. Uh, let me give you two examples of this. One example I hear often is Travis in Mexico. Travis constantly tells me, uh, if, if you're not aware, Travis, uh, Travis and I, we, we played high school football together. Uh, we sinned uh, with one another in the world. We did all kinds of stupid things together. We went to the school of ministry together, both graduated at school. He ended up becoming a missionary in Mexico. I ended up becoming a pastor here in Truckee. And he's still in Mexico, and he's serving orphans, and he's serving widows, and he's building a baby house right now. It's almost completely finished, which is pretty incredible. Thank you for, for your giving and time and prayer for that. Uh, and, and he hears this all the time as I talk to him. I'm like, how's it going? What's happening? And he's like, you know, we need volunteers. We need people to come down. We're sending a team down there shortly. Uh, and um, he said people always ask him this question. Well, is it safe? Like, if I go, like, can I take my kids? Uh, can I bring my car if I go down? Like, am I going to die? Like, those are, like, legitimate questions. He's asked legitimately from even people in our church, hey, is it safe? And Travis is always like, you know, he and I are really close, so he, he speaks to me more freely. He probably wouldn't share this with you, but I will. <laughs> <clears throat> He's like, man, I want to tell these people. I'm like, I've raised two kids down here. I live here with two kids. And he's like, if it wasn't safe, do you think I wouldn't 
I, w- I would have my kids there. But there's a tension to this. When we talk about serving and, and Paul's motive not being, uh, you know, because it's easy, because it isn't, it's very difficult. He's willing, man, to do it, even if it's hard. Service isn't necessarily always going to be easy, right? So, so we, we, are we willing? And the answer should be yes. Is it safe? And the answer is it doesn't matter if God's called you. Corey Ten Boom, a Dutch Christian who was in prison for helping Jews escape the Nazis. It is said that between her and her family that they probably saved around 800 Jews. It may not seem significant in the fact that so many had died, but that's still pretty significant. This is what she said. The safest place is in the center of God's will. She said this knowing that she would suffer and be broken. Corey Ten Boom watched her father die in prison. Corey later, her and her sister, later would end up in a concentration camp. Corey would watch her sister die with these words on her lips. They suffered for the gospel. Died because of the gospel. And this is what her sister said as her dying last words. There is no pit so deep that God is not deeper still. What would your life look like if you had an adoration and a faith and a trust in the gospel like that? What would your decisions look like? What kind of things would you really worry about? Or would you be more liberated and free? Listen to, again, Paul describe this kind of service. Remember, I said it wasn't easy. He's willing. So when I'm talking about raising your hand uh, and saying, I'm willing to serve, I'm willing to be the solution, we have to understand what Paul is saying here when he then goes on and says in 2 Corinthians, listen to this, he says, okay, listen, my service, what has it ended up with? You know this verse. I'm sure some of you are aware of it. Paul's testimony for the gospel. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews 40 lashes minus one. Good thing they took off one, so that's only 39 times five. That He was beaten radically. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned, not the marijuana kind. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and day I was adrift at sea. I've been on frequent journeys I was in danger from rivers, danger from rogers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers. You hear Paul's plight? Nature seems to be fighting me. The anti-church of the Jews seem to be fighting me. The Gentiles and the Romans seem to be fighting me. Doesn't all of this sound as if the spiritual realm itself, all of the forces of hell, and all of the way that hell could influence Paul negatively are just pushing against Paul's service. Shut him up. Keep him quiet. Make him mute. Keep him trapped, even to the point of arrest. And he goes on and he says, this is all danger. Verse 27 of that same passage. I've been in a lot of toil, a lot of hardships, sleepless nights. I've been hungry and thirsty often without food, and in cold exposure. So he even did ministry here. It's right there. 
And apart from these other things, he says, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Now, there's a few things in here. One, there's, there's, there's the Holy Spirit ministering to me as a pastor. Because the reality is at times, as a minister of the gospel, it can feel as if the forces of hell truly are fighting against all of your forward efforts. And my friends, that pressing from the forces of hell that you may sense and feel is because what we are doing is working. And Satan knows that. That's what he wants to do. And he shares that there's these physical things. So Paul isn't just speaking of a spiritual kind of service. His hands and his feet are willing to get dirty. He's willing, man. Again, we ask the question for all of us, myself included, am I willing to be beaten? Am I willing to be imprisoned for the gospel? Am I even willing to take really gnarly trips that might make me adrift at sea? Uh, the last time I took a major trip for the gospel was with my wife uh, to Papua New Guinea. We flew an airplane that had no business flying. I'm serious, man. We were in the clouds, and the guy's like, like, oh, we better move. There's lightning. And while we're, we're flying, this is a true story. I don't want to spend too much time in it. You could feel the rain hitting your legs. Small little airplane, no business. We made it. But here he is. I'm willing to go through the anxiety. The anxiety of what it takes to go do the thing, but also the anxiety for what may occur to the people who are part of the thing. What I mean by all of that, basically what I'm trying to say is that the anxiety that, that we feel as pastors, for, for those of us who I think are true under-shepherds, is a true angst for our congregations. You have a group of men and women here who care greatly for you who it weighs upon them, your daily life, for your marriages, and for your children. Because I know many of our congregation here is in the same exact boat that we're in, trying to figure out how do I parent well? How do I, I know Matthew 28 tells me is I'm willing to go into the world, but sometimes the hardest evangelism and the hardest place to serve is to just get up out of bed and go and serve our own kids and our own spouses, Yeah. So this isn't just, hey, you got to go to Mexico. This is also like, hey, sometimes it feels to serve the home like things are shipwrecked and, and the devil's in there robbing you and stealing joy from your kids and stealing from your... you understand what I'm saying? Does anyone else feel that battle? And then Paul goes on in all of it, though, and he later will say in that passage, uh, verse 29, uh, ultimately then I'm just going to boast in my weakness. So what Paul inevitably, too, is he's almost like yielding to the fact that like to serve means I'm going to be weak. It means I'm not going to have it all together. It means that your pastor is so imperfect, that your pastor's working through anxiety, and your pastor's working through depression, and your pastors are working through these things, just as you are working through them. Paul got that. The reason he could be so bold in his service in the declaration of the gospel is because Jesus has been meeting him in the midst of his trial and tribulation. And so church, as we grow in our attitude of service, yes to praying, yes to it, but also yes to praying ourselves into a solution that may, that may be uncomfortable. Because we don't want to serve the idol of comfort, do we? Is comfort really bringing what we want? And I'd say no. 
Well, I mean, I was thinking this morning, even just as I was listening to all of you talk as you were coming in, all of you were sharing your survival stories. That's what I heard this morning. Oh, it's the only time nobody's exaggerating, you know? I got 80 feet of snow. <laughs> right? And the reason there's life here this morning and the reason you were energetic is because, because guess what? To live through things like that makes you feel alive. And this is what Paul's saying. I'm going to live. I'm going to really live. Because Jesus showed me how to live. He laid himself out. And he raised his hand. And he did what no one else was willing to do. There's not one religion on this planet that has said that it is finished. There's not one religion on this planet except for the gospel. We strive not to earn or do anything. We pour ourselves out because, man, Jesus is worth it. And he meets us right there in the midst of that difficulty. Amen? Would you stand with me? Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you that you had a humble, willing, submissive spirit. We see in you at times, or yourself, you prayed, not my will, but your will. In Romans 15, Lord, you tell us to strive together in prayer and that the service would be acceptable to you and to the saints. Lord, we see that submission brings true life, that true service to you gives us what we've ultimately been looking for, which is joy. Lord, you even teach us in John 14, 15 that if we love you, we'll keep your commandments. And James, Lord, your spirit tells us to submit, our, to, submit, to submit ourselves to you, God, and to resist the devil that he would flee. Ephesians, Lord, tells us to give thanks always and to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Lord, would all of us this morning have a God-glorifying submission to you? May all of us be challenged a little bit more to pray ourselves into the solution and allow those prayers to raise our hands into the sky very, very high, Lord, and to say, Lord, here I am. Would you send me? Thank you for that empowerment. Thank you, Lord, for that promise that if we submit to you, Lord, you will do all that is necessary for our good. And we trust you for that now. May we give back to you in song and worship you as you are worthy. In Jesus' name, amen.